Good morning. Anyone after hearing that little jingle, doesn't that make you want to go Christmas shopping? I feel like I just want, like, I want to go to the mall now. I'm just, like, ready to go, so. Let me uh, pray as we get into God's Word this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm really excited about the passage this morning because I think we can identify with a lot of the characters that are there and what God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... uh, we come before you realizing that uh, what determines our hearts definitely comes from you. And you honor specific things when we act in certain ways because our hearts are right. And so, Lord, as we look at the heart behind things this morning, I pray that you open our hearts to see what your word has to say. That you allow us to see the characters, you allow us to see how you function as God, and open our minds to changes that we can make so that our heart is right and the heart behind what we do is right. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here this morning to our service in person and online. Today we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. How many people, when you read the Christmas story, let's say on Christmas Day, read the Gospel of Luke? I did it as a kid, so we always read the Gospel of Luke. I don't know why we did that, because, I mean, there is four Gospel accounts, and one of them actually takes out all the infancy accounts, so you really can't use the Gospel of John unless you want to say, in the beginning was the Word, and then your kids are like, what? But... Luke was the one we always read. And so we're going to be in Luke for the next few weeks, okay? So we're going to be going through sections of Luke, starting in chapter 1. So today we're going to look at what God honors. What does God honor? What does God honor? The world might say something like, be true to yourself, or or something like that. But God is going to specifically show that he honors different things than what the world honors. This Christmas, we need more of what God honors. Can anyone get an amen for that? That's why I like being in person. Amen, right? (laughs) That's what I'm excited about, because when we look at this story, we can all identify with the people in the story. So if you have our app, you can get the the notes at the top there. You can click at the top of the feed in our app to find our YouVersion event. If you're watching online, you can pull it up on another device. And today we're going to talk about the heart behind it, the heart behind it. Let me say some phrases that you have either, either thought or said. Maybe you've even said these things this week. Mom, do I have to take out the trash? I'm looking at you kids, right? Any kids? Do I have to take out the trash? Why are you so urgent about this? As I'm gritting my teeth. No one knows more about this issue that, that I'm dealing with than I do. We as adults say that all the time, right? I don't need time to think. I know right now this is not going to work. How many dads have you said that to your, your wife or your kids? God didn't tell me to love others this way. This is not what I signed up for. I am not under any circumstances going to give in like these other people. God didn't call me to care for others in the ways I'm being asked to. No way. No way, I don't like this. 
Now, we might not say that out loud. Anyone, I mean, anyone have the guts to say they've said that out loud? I don't think we've said it out loud, but we definitely have thought it before. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's too far. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. And so the key thing for us to realize is there's a connection between all these statements. It's the heart behind it. It's not what's actually being said. It's the heart and the tone behind it. Have you ever been told, well, what you said was right, but your tone Like, how you said it was wrong. We might not say some of this, but our hearts and minds are screaming at us. And you know what they're screaming at us? Me, me, me. Me, me, me. Many things in life are not the way it seems. And the older you get, the more you realize that when it comes to matters of the heart, that's true as well. Because when you had that first crush, did you ever realize that you might have another crush? I mean, the person when you're in first grade and you're like six years old, you're like, oh, I've got a crush on so-and-so. Then all of a sudden you move on to the next crush when you're seven, and then when you're eight, and then when you're nine. So the matters of the heart, it's definitely true that things are not as they seem. And so I I hate to use one of my favorite authors constantly in sermons, but C.S. Lewis by far has the best quote on this. When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind and that's the way it is with the heart behind what we do when we follow Jesus it's different if you want to have a heart that God honors we're going to have to run away from the cliff that it seems like the world is running off of right now they're just running off of it they don't care they're running off a cliff and they maybe they don't even know it and you want to yell don't go off the cliff but everyone's just going off the same cliff But it won't be easy, because C.S. Lewis also said, hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1. An ordinary person, much like a teenage girl from a poor family that encounters an angel. An ordinary person like each one of us. Now, guys, I know you've never been a teenage girl, but let's just imagine you're a teenage boy and you're on Joseph's end of things through this whole thing, okay? Because the other Gospels share Joseph's kind of side of things. We're going to talk about Mary's side of things this morning. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And this is, this is finding Mary and when the angel Gabriel comes to her. And I'm just going to read a few verses here. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How many of you at this point are like, I don't know what I would do, right? Angel appears. You're a, you're a young teenage girl, and you're like, uh, what's going on? So let's give some context to what's going on, and then see how she responds. Some context is the sixth month is not the sixth month of the year. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which is her cousin, um, which was announced in the previous passage uh, by Gabriel. God has been, he's been sent by God to Nazareth. Now, I know this is not interesting probably to all of us, but think about this. Nazareth is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. 
There's no reason to mention Nazareth in the entire Old Testament. There's lots of random places mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a nowhere place overrun with Gentiles and Roman guards. That's what we know historically. God didn't choose Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish thought, the center where the temple was, where everyone should be. But they didn't choose that place. He didn't choose the, the temple or where the presence of God was to announce the birth of the Savior. It was a simple place for a very special announcement that has, can, has and continues to transform history for all eternity. And so why would he choose this place? And, and, and this, is, this is why he chose this place. Because we're going to see through Gabriel and Mary's interaction that God honors a humble heart. God honors a humble heart. Mary wasn't anything special. She just wasn't. Gabriel came to Mary, a virgin betrothed to Joseph in the house of David. Mary being betrothed. Now, anyone use the word betrothed anymore? Do we betroth people? No, I'm hearing silence. It's not rhetorical. Is there a betrothal? Has anyone been betrothed in the room? Okay, all right. So no one's been betrothed. And if you're watching online, if you've been betrothed, I need to hear your story. So no, no such thing as betrothal in our current culture. But then what betrothal meant was they were legally married, but not married yet. It's like this waiting period. So for her to do anything right now, as far as, as, far as uh, relationally, she is, would have to get a legal divorce at this point. And so anything in this betrothal time would be considered adultery if she were to cheat on Joseph. So that gives you some context for what comes up. God's promise here comes to everyday people. She's an everyday person. In everyday experiences, God came to a virgin betrothed to a carpenter. And you may think, well, maybe back then a carpenter was like, a skilled trade and was honored. No, a carpenter was just a carpenter. And that's what a carpenter is now. They're not CEO of some large company. They're not a governor of a, a country or anything like that. Not from a respected family or region. And even Mary will not think she's important. We're going to see that. She didn't even think she was important. She didn't even think she was important. The, the, she did show a humble heart, and God definitely honors that. In verse 28... Gabriel says something that would have shocked anybody. Imagine this. You're in your house, and there's this bright light that shows up. And what's the first thing people think when they're young kids? They're like, oh, aliens. No, it's not aliens. It's the angel. And Gabriel's there, and she can kindly kind of see the form of Gabriel. And Gabriel says in a loud, and I, I don't know if it would be a booming voice, I'm sure he had a, a loud voice and just says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. This was not something she would have been accustomed to. In that culture, women were not favored. She was a teenage girl. She was betrothed. What's running through a 12 to 14-year-old girl's mind right now? Why me? How? I'm sure there was some negative spiral of like, what's going to happen? She probably has so many questions, but one thing is for sure that she had a humble heart. There's, a, there's a, a doctrinal concern in this verse. And I know that you're like, why are you bringing this up? Well, it's very important here, actually. Because in the Latin Vulgate, a translation that was used in the Catholic Church for many years, a Latin translation in, in the, gave rise to the belief in medieval times, as theologians from that time said, Mary had every gift, not only spiritual 
but secular, given to all the angels. This led to something that we hear about now. Have you ever heard of a Catholic person doing a Hail Mary? If you're Catholic and you do a Hail Mary, it's because of this verse. Well, how did we get there? Like, does that verse say anything there? It doesn't make sense. The Catholic Church prays to Mary as a dispenser of grace. And the part of this was finally instituted in the Catholic Church when the Pope in 1854 said Mary was not born into sin. She wasn't a sinner. She didn't need a savior savior because she was sinless too. And guess what? We're going to see next week she needed a savior because she cries out to God thanking him for being her savior. So that makes no sense. Kent Hughes, which the quote that's up there, says that doctrine is sad and totally unjustified distortion. Mary would have been scandalized at the thought. And Karl Barth, which was called by Time Magazine the greatest theologian of the 20th century, aptly responds, can such a figure meet with worse misunderstanding than what which happened to her in the Catholic Church? That doesn't mean, and I, I, I have to say this, that doesn't mean that she's not blessed and favored of God. But did you notice why she's favored? Because God is with her. And when God is with you, you are blessed, right? So it, it, it's, she has been blessed specifically, though, with being with, from God by being the mother of Jesus. She went through a miraculous pregnancy. And I think most of all in this passage, she embodied humility from her heart. She never was like lifting herself up. And C.S. Lewis, I know I said I'd mentioned C.S. Lewis a ton in the sermon because he's got so much on this passage that's so important. He said, and you've probably heard this quote before, humility is thinking of your, less of your, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. We need to think of others more. And that's what Mary did here. That's what Mary's going to do here. That's the excitement that Mary has regarding the birth of Jesus. That's the response of Mary to Gabriel. As Mary was blessed of God with special favor and special presence, God was with her and God blessed her. So followers of Jesus, we're blessed through him as well, and the Lord is with us. So when you read this one line, always remember that you are favored, that God has, has brought his favor to you. It's not because you deserve it, and Mary didn't deserve it either. God loves those who are humble in spirit. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, which I, I've debated over when I would actually use this verse in a sermon this month because it's such a good verse regarding this. It says, For thus says the one who is on high, that's God, is and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite, of a humble and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is with you. If this has been a hard month, if this is going to be a really hard Christmas, God is with you. That's the, that's the answer he has for you here. It, it, God is with you in that. Even though he's way up in the high holy place, he's down here. He's present day to day to day with you. Let's have a humble heart this Christmas season. It's hard to think of others unless you spend more time hearing about who they are. And I can speak as an extrovert. I even had a conversation this morning. It's like, I said, well, usually it's like 70% me talking. Some of you know that I like to talk, but you can't know anything about anyone else unless you listen. And so here's, here's what I've realized this Christmas season. I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to ask three questions before I talk. 
I'm not going to do it all the time, so if you hear me ask three questions, now the, the, the gig is up and you already know. So I'm asking you three questions because I actually want to hear what the answers are. And I tend to ask curious questions that no one expects, so just be ready. But I think we could all do that, and we could all be a little bit like Mary and just be humble and be like, I'm just going to listen. I want, I want to hear what your story is. Because I think we'll realize this Christmas season we all feel very similar. We all have things that have been taken from us. But then those of us that life is just the same, we're going to feel even more blessed, right? And so there's a huge opportunity here. So let's go to verse 29. And we're going to see her response. Well, actually, we're going to see the angel's response to her before she responds. Starting in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Wouldn't you be greatly troubled? Bright light, angel comes down, talks to you. You're like, why did I, how did I deserve this? Do I deserve this? And then she said, and then he, the angel says, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the, give him the throne of his father David, and will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know what's interesting? She was greatly troubled, but it says Mary was discerning. She was trying to figure out what was going on. Discerning means to take an audit. And, I mean, audit is like kind of a dirty word in our culture because you don't want to be audited by the IRS, but yet audit is a very rational response to this moment when our emotions could take hold of us. So she actually has a rational response. She was greatly troubled. There was, there was emotions, but then she's taking an audit. She's trying to figure things out, and she's reflecting in her deepest heart, in her deepest being. And so it's clear here, based on the angel's response, that God honors a reflective heart. Reflect on what has been said. Reflect on God's word. In our faith, we don't need to just make emotional responses. We can make rational responses. God gives us time and space to respond in faith. If anything, God gives us more time and space than our own family members do. You ever feel pushed to make a decision by a, by a, a workplace situation or, or your kids or a spouse? There's, there's more time and space that God gives us to respond in faith than anyone in our life. So in Mary... We can see, as Daryl Bach says, spiritual greatness is not a matter of social class, monetary clout, or decreed background. There's no, you know, you don't have a degree or decreed. It's a function of the heart. It's a function of the heart. It's not something that you can earn. You know, it's so easy to look at someone else and say, they're not where I'm at spiritually. But it's a lot harder to say, I want to help that person, and maybe they're further along than I am, and have the humility to realize, maybe I'm not the end all, because I don't, it's not social class, so it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what circles you're in, it doesn't matter if you're here on every Sunday, or you're here once a month, or what. But it does matter in your relationship with God and where your heart's at. God uses those who are willing, no matter what. If you're willing, 
God will use you. God's message through Jesus makes us ask, what does this mean of us? What does this require of us? That's what Mary was probably asking. Like, okay, I'm favored. God's with me. What does that mean? I don't know what this means. He only said greetings. Just like Mary, we're asking that question. Christmas is a time to decide what's most important to us, most important in our lives, and then devote ourselves again to God's will. Why do we sing songs like we sang earlier that talks about peace and lack of quarreling and talks about God with us? Why don't we sing that all year round? I'm going to start a club. I started a club a while back, but I'm going to start a club. Let's do Christmas carols all year round. Come on. They'll get kind of annoying by like maybe June, and then we'll just give up until December again. But like Christmas carols, like all year round, God is with us, right? Why do, why do we sing about Emmanuel only one time of the year? So Mary here is open to answers in her doubt. She's a little troubled. She wasn't certain what was going on. And we really shouldn't be afraid of the favor of God. Mary, did, do any of us have credentials? Someone could say your pastor has credentials because they went to school to study the Bible, but that doesn't mean anything to God. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. All, all it means is that I, I've studied the Bible more than the average person, but that doesn't mean anything to God. And Mary had no credentials, just her availability and a responsive heart. We are in the same way as Mary is. We don't have credentials. We don't come to God with credentials, and he accepts us only because Jesus accepts us. Because Jesus receives us when we repent of our sin, and he provides forgiveness. Gabriel gives a, a prophetic announcement. And I, I, does anyone play the trumpet? Because I want to, like, I wanted someone, oh, I'm going to have you play the trumpet next time I say prophetic announcement. I feel like, do-do-do-do, you know, like, there's a prophetic announcement. It's like the people are coming out, or the king is being announced, and that's what's happening here with Jesus. He has a position, he has authority, and he's divine. Nothing is going to overcome God's plan for Jesus. So much so, he can even die, and it still succeeds. Imagine that. Name a plot that that happens. You can even die on a cross and still succeed. That's the declaration of the eternal kingdom of God. And much like the hymn Amazing Grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Doesn't matter. We've got no less days. God's eternal kingdom was revealed through Jesus Christ. Mary at this point has more questions, and she starts asking questions, and it's actually interesting what she asks, because it's totally not what I would have thought of asking. As I read through this, I thought, like, what would I do if I got to this point? I'm trying to put myself in Mary's shoes, and I would not have asked this question. And you'll see why in a second. So starting in verse 34, I'm going to read through verse 37. The angel speaks to her, and then she says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month, sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Love that last verse. Mary doesn't question things. 
So the things she doesn't question. Imagine being a Jewish person in this culture. And in the culture, she wasn't someone that would have gotten this message. She would have been like, well, why didn't the, pre- the high priest get this message? Or why didn't so-and-so get this message? It just wouldn't, like, she'd be the last person to get the message. And so she doesn't question a few things that I think I would have questioned right away if I was Jewish. One, she doesn't question the divinity of Jesus. She doesn't question whether he's God or not. Isn't that a little interesting? She doesn't question that. She doesn't question the authority he will have. And she doesn't question his position as the Son of God. Doesn't question the things that I think I would question right away. And you can see that God is going to honor that. God honors a believing heart. When we believe and we act on that belief, he honors that. Mary believed the what of Christmas. What is going to happen? Who's coming? She believed the what. The question is not the how. She asked the how question. How is this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. It just can't happen. But the what question, she didn't have any questions about. And that's what's so interesting. She didn't, she didn't have any questions. Mary believes the what without question, but her question is focused on how this is going to happen. You know, I know this, this is hard to do because some of us are very logical and that's like, okay, I would ask that question. I would have asked the question like Mary. We, we don't really need to get lost on the how of the virgin birth, or, but recognize the what of Jesus is God. He's God. As God, it, it's so, it's, it's the bigger deal. Mary believed that and wanted to know more. So how could this be the question we also ask? It, or this, this, this could be the question we also ask that leads to us understanding who Jesus Christ is. God answers her question because it was coming from a believing heart. How is this going to happen? Have you ever read the Bible and thought, that promise there that's in the Bible, how is that going to happen in my life? How is that going to happen? I don't know how that's going to happen. There's no way that's going to happen. Well, the first thing to do is talk to God about it. Go to him. The angel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And this is really just a reference of the presence of God. It's been used this way in the Old Testament to describe the presence of God in the sanctuary in the Old Testament and also the Spirit overshadowing the water in Genesis 1, verse 2. And so this, this, this overshadowing is where the Holy Spirit, the presence is there. Sensing Mary's hesitation, the angel tells her about Elizabeth's pregnancy. Like, hey, Elizabeth, you know Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth. She's going to have a baby too. But she's too old to have a baby. And we don't know date-wise, but it's pretty certain that she was older than, say, the age of 60. I don't know if you're in your 60s, but if you're in your 60s, you probably don't want to have a baby, right? Okay? But this woman, Elizabeth, wanted to have a baby. She was barren. She was too old to have children, but she conceived. And that was an act of the Holy Spirit as well. Completing the prophecy by saying at the end, for nothing will be impossible without God. When God speaks, the impossible becomes possible. Because God spoke and said, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. Didn't say it was virgin birth. Didn't say the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her. There's a difference there. But said you're going to have a child, and there was a, a medical impossibility. And it became possible because God spoke. God spoke life into being. When God speaks, the impossible becomes possible. 
Then Mary hears this and, and responds in Luke 1, 38. So this last verse is so important. So, did you notice that the angel didn't respond directly? I mean, he said the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, but didn't really just, didn't go into too much detail, right? And then the next thing that happens is, gives an example of what God's already doing, which she can't confirm yet. You notice she goes to Elizabeth, if you read through the passage, she go, she's like, hey, I'm going to go check this out. <laughs> is this really true? You know, the angel told me it must be true. And then Mary responds in this way. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Something none of us want to do because we have a rebel heart. Mary was submissive to the Lord. To what God was going to do. She just said, yes, Lord, use me. In the words, Isaiah, here I am, send me. She just did it right away. And I can tell you that the description of what was happening, she'd be shaking in her, at her knees, not knowing what to do, but her first response is to say, I'm a servant of the Lord. Use me. Use me. So we can see that God honors a submissive heart. Mary said she was a servant of the Lord. And what's interesting about servants, because we don't think in context of servants in our culture, servants, especially in this culture, found their status by who they serve. I still think that's how God functions. Mary measured low in any ranking of the day. Her age, she wasn't really that old. She wasn't wise in the world's eyes. Family heritage, she was essentially betrothed, bartered to a carpenter. She didn't have wealth. I mean, clearly when we hear the birth account of Jesus and their there, he's born in a manger. There wasn't wealth. But God. But God favored her. She was favored by God. Her status and identity was found in obedience to God's will. And that's all that we can find it in. If you are a follower of Christ, that's exactly where it's found. It's not found anywhere else. It was obedience to God's will. Both Mary and us need to say, I am yours to God. I am yours. Use me. Every single one of us is going to encounter someone this Christmas that we can help. It might be a kind word. It might be a moment where we can be like Mary and say, God, use me right now. It might be not having the gifts you want so that others can have gifts. It might mean taking care of someone's debt to someone else. You know, there's the most uh, humbling moments of my entire life have been when someone else did something for me that I could not repay. It drives me crazy. And when I say I can't repay, I mean like just there's no way possible I can't give you enough counseling because that's about all I ha I'm skilled at. Counseling, preaching, there's a few other things I can do. There's not really much else I can do. I can't do anything for that person. I would love 
for our community to know sunlight as a church that, where that happens. They're going to ask questions. They're going to ask questions because we're, we're not qualified to do that. And sometimes we feel unusable. You may have walked in this morning or you may be watching online and you're like, I can't do anything. I don't even want to... I, I don't even want to go out and do things because I, I just don't know what to do right now. And the answer is just like Mary. I'm yours, God. Use me. And when you start praying that prayer, you're going to start realizing that God's going to show you opportunities. Daryl Bach speaks to this when he said, Wonderful things come in surprising packages, but they can come because God has the power to deliver them. God has the power to deliver them. That is what we should be thinking. That God is going to deliver them. We can overcome any limitations we have. We all have limitations. And I'm not just talking about physical limitations, emotional limitations. Sometimes we feel like we have spiritual limitations. But I realize when I look at Mary that... Honestly, Mary had more faith than I do when I wake up most mornings. Mary just like, okay, I guess I'm going to have a virgin birth. Uh, okay, my son's going to be God. She had a believing heart. She had faith. God just doesn't want obedient robots. Go back to my introduction. Mom, do I have to take out the trash? It's not a mom, do I have to take out the trash? It's, mom, I'm glad I get to take out the trash this week. You see how the heart's different? I'm looking at you kids. All you kids out there, okay? The heart's different. He wants a heart behind the obedience that we have. It's the heart. He's not looking for, for people to just do things, but we're something, being something different because the Holy Spirit has transformed our lives. He desires, God desires and honors hearts that are humble, reflective, believing, and submissive to his will. So what? Why is that such a big deal? I can tell you, when you go out in public and you talk to others, they're looking for this. They're looking for someone to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, especially this Christmas. Especially when, when people at, overall feel like there is some loss this year. And so when we're humble, we realize that it's better to love others than to always be right. How many of us have made that mistake? I always want to be right. I want to be in a debate. I want to, I want to you know, get to the bottom of this. When we're humble, that doesn't really matter as much. Reflective. Some of us have a lot of time to reflect right now, but some of us don't. And I would encourage you, spend some time reflecting, meditating on God's word, praying. Maybe just pray the simple prayer. I'm yours, God. Use me. Believing. Maybe your belief isn't there yet. And maybe your belief is kind of stale. Mary was so ready to go that she didn't even question that Jesus was going to be God. Like God was growing inside of her and she still didn't get it. She didn't, she didn't care about that. And then submissive heart. Submission has got a, a really bad rap in our culture. 
it's got a really bad rap. And really, it comes down to being obedient. You know, I'm the first person to challenge something. My wife can attest to this. I, you know, if something's, she thinks it's not fixable, I think it's fixable. I got to figure out how to get, make this work. And yet, sometimes I've realized that sometimes just being like, you know what, it's not going to work. And that's okay. And, and being obedient to what God is calling us to be is probably the hardest part of all of that. But if you notice, that follows everything. So we start, it starts with a humble heart. It leads to reflection. It leads to belief. And then it leads to submission to God's will, to listening to God's will for all eternity. Pray with me this morning. And really, I want to challenge each and every one of you. Simple prayer. I'm yours. Use me this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know, we know that you do miracles. We know that you used Mary and that she was blessed and she gave birth to Jesus, our Savior. But God, we also know that we need to be humble. Just like she was. She came from humble origins. Help us this week and for the rest of our lives to live lives of humility. And God, we know that we can't do that unless we reflect. And and I know this is hard for most of us. Spend time in reflection this week. God, allow us that time to reflect on who you are, what you've done, and how we can be an encouragement to others. God, strengthen our belief. On days where we feel stale or we don't feel like like we really, really know what's going on around us, or we feel distant from you, God, use that as an opportunity for us to grow in our belief and our pursuit of Jesus Christ. God, help us to submit to your will, to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ. That no matter what's happening around us, it can't change what's happening within us and what you are doing through us. God, we say all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.